Stone. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. This week we're taking a look at the frenetic world of travel public relations, the people who create the images and manage the profiles of a multitude of businesses. These range from hotels and tour operators to resorts and whole countries. In the UK, perhaps the biggest name of all in worldwide travel PR is Lindsay Devon, the MD of Heaven Publicity. We caught up with Lindsay when she was, even in these troubled times, working as usual away from home in southwestern France. Lindsay, welcome to Action Pack Travel. Now, you're as involved in travel as we are, but in a completely different way. Can you tell us what you do? Lovely to be here, Peter and Felice. I've been working in travel for many, many years, started in tour operating, but now I moved over the years to public relations. And the whole point of public relations is to make the consumers find out more about destinations and places to go, making it exciting for people. So what's that actually involved doing? So what that involves doing is working with a client, be it a resort or a hotel or uh, anybody who needs that sort of service, and to find really good stories around them so that you can then go to media online or traditional media or TV and work with the journalist or with whoever it is, influencer, and come up with a really good plan together to get the most visibility out to the consumer. So we do different things. We can do things through TV programs and working with production companies or working with journalists where we come together and the journalists get to experience the places or the destinations. Um, The other thing is coming up with, there's also crisis management, the other side of the coin, where we have to look after people's reputation because something's happened. So there's lots of different sets to it. And also things like event where you get people to come together. There's nothing better than face to face, as we all know. So you are, you're a party planner at heart then? A little bit, but a bit more than that. But I mean, that's an important part of it. When you have a, a client, say a hotel comes to London, presumably, and then you organize a, a party and you invite members of the media. There's that. And more and more now, it's more for the client side of it. There's a lot more things of presentations as well. And there's lots of getting under the sort of skin of people and trying to get them to understand the brands. So yeah, the party happens, but that's just a a nice thing to have. But there's actually a lot of business going on underneath there. Should we start with the exciting part of it? For Not for you, but for to hear about, which is the things going wrong and you having to deal with it. Yeah, there's lots of things. I mean, I have a myriad of examples, but one I was thinking about actually last night was the ash cloud. In Iceland, this was this massive ash cloud in 2010, and it shut the airways or the whole of the skies for eight days in that June. Back in 2010, we thought that's the worst thing that had ever happened to this planet. Suddenly nine kilometers of plumes of smoke are going up. And for a whole eight days, the whole of the skies was shut. It had a massive impact on travel. Nobody had foreseen this. I was working for TUI Specialist Activity at the time, and we had 100,000 clients stuck around the world. So there was a massive uh, sort of how do we get people back? How do we move people around? And one of the most important things was just trying to keep communications open, not only with the clients, but also with the press, because everybody was in the dark at this point. So what we were doing is we were doing communications, keeping people up to date, what we were doing for our clients. 
an example in the Alps that they did is they actually bus people back who were on ski holidays. We have people coming back, honestly, by any means we could do. Trains became very popular, but it was huge. It was a really huge thing. And TUI did such a good job. They really looked after their staff and actually helped other people, other clients, not just their own consumers. So that was pretty, pretty scary time because it was an actual impact that nobody had any control over. So that's one of the examples of crisis. Then you have other things like which are quite could be quite dangerous. One of them that I dealt with was an expedition, uh, Duke of Edinburgh Award, um, the gold version. They're in a place called Fish River Canyon in Windhoek out in Namibia. And um, one of the companies I work with, they would help with, the, you know, they had, the whole thing was set up for the gold Duke of Edinburgh. And they'd have satellite communications. They'd have a leader, a guide, a proper guide. And they'd go off for about four hours and do their own bit of their trek. Well, a small team of five got lost. And we're talking about children in their sort of eight, 17, 18 year olds. And they just disappeared. They went off radar. We couldn't find them anywhere. And so we had to get extensive air and sea rescue. So that was not only looking for them, the family members, the school staff, the company's security agent was out there, the medical support agency was there, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office was involved, the British High Commission was involved. Thank goodness they were found. But what had actually transpired was we were having to communicate this because it was children per se and keep the media up to date with what we knew. Because that's the other problem. There's a lot of hearsay, a lot of, you know, a lot of aspersions are cast, but you cannot talk unless you know what's going on. And what actually happened is they'd taken a wrong turning and they'd actually walked into part of the national park where there are lions. So, of course, it was absolutely important to find those kids. And they did. Everything was fine. But that was a huge story at the time. So, again, it's communicating, speaking to the media that you know. And that's the other point from our job's perspective is knowing the people who will understand when you're telling them the right information, the real information, because you want to make sure that the family isn't hurt in the in the meantime with all sorts of things coming out. So that was quite an interesting time as well. And then presumably there must be unfortunate things like terrorist attacks around the world. Yeah, terrorist attacks are just awful. Now, that goes on to another level because when that happens, exactly like with these kids before, you have every agency involved with this. And with a terrorist attack, you don't actually know until it's legally claimed to be a terrorist attack, but it's a terrorist attack. So you are dealing with many moving parts. You do have, you know, the best thing, which I think people may not realize, most companies have a, a whole form of operational it's crisis management. So many people within a company are involved. And then you've got the people on the ground. And so the only way to deal with a terrorist attack is actually you're hoping that you've got people on that ground to help you. Because other, you know, you've got hospitals. I mean, depending on the injuries, they could go to multiple hospitals. They can go to multiple hospitals across different countries, depending where it is. And that is really important because you might be talking, say, to the Egyptians, but you might be talking to the Tunisians. You might be talking to the Germans. We just don't know when you set up for a crisis, where it goes. So I think in those sorts of cases, you've also got to reassure people that it's a one-off as well if it is a one-off, because it could absolutely ruin all sorts of things for people in the future as well. So being a PR in travel is not always as easy as it might sound. When the times are bad, it's really bad. But there's some good times as well, aren't there? Oh, yes, there's lots of good times. And one of the best things from my perspective is that I've been very lucky to travel the world. And I came from a background of parents who worked in different forms of travel. And the things you see and the people you meet, the stories. I mean, I'm lucky enough to meet some of the best journalists 
in the United Kingdom and Ireland. And I tell you, the stories I've heard over the past are just brilliant because they're things that I would never have lived myself. I've been to fantastic places like Syria. There's no way I'm going to get to go back to Syria. And the places that I visited, like Damascus and up into Palmyra, they don't exist anymore in any formal shape that I saw them in. Um, so I was very, very honoured and very lucky to get there. My own personal passion is the mountains. And I've been lucky enough to launch skiing in Japan, to skiing in Turkey, to skiing in Canada. You know, I've just been en- everywhere and anywhere. So I'm so, so lucky. And I feel very honoured to have that. I think I'm right in saying you're a snowboarder, actually, aren't you? I am a snowboarder full time, but I do ski as well. <laughs> <laughs> when I need to, when I need to, I do ski. But no, I mean the thing is, I look at our, in- I look at the ski industry as a whole industry. So I always think of it as everybody belongs to it who who goes to it. But I also absolutely adore the summer. And I'm actually just back from a trip to Verbier, and we went somewhere I'd never been before. Now I've been working for them for nearly ten years, and I actually went on a mountain bike up to the Ort route, which is the route that goes around from France to Switzerland, Mont Blanc, Zermatt route. And I'd never been there. And I went up on a really big e-mountain bike, which was pretty hard work, I must say. And I saw the most beautiful views over into Italy. So, yeah, every day there's something new and it's exciting. The Alps are beautiful in summer. The Ort route in that area there must look absolutely fantastic on a summer's day. I've seen it on a winter's day and it's pretty tough. But in summer, I expect it's a bit different. It's definitely different. There's still snow up there, though, Peter. And uh, they've got some amazing huts and mountain huts you can stay in. And when you're up there, the sun is so strong. You know, you may, it's so beautiful and the lakes and everything else. And I think it's a stunning destination that a lot of people haven't really ever thought about. So it's lovely. It's really lovely. We usually do a bit more tame stuff in the summer, like the Tyrol with nice, gentle walks and lakes for swimming and that sort of thing. Well, that's the thing. That's the other point. You know, you've been there and it's just such a beautiful area. Tyrol's stunning. But more and more people, I think, after the year we've all had, will be looking for something a bit different. And actually wild swimming or nice walking or nice biking. Tyrol is perfect for that. So, yeah, I I absolutely with you. I think the mountains have got something for every age, everybody who wants a different level of, of excitement, slow food or fast food. Not really, but, you know. I think a lot of people know Austria in, in, in the winter months, but those ski resorts are really sensational in summer as well, aren't they? Amazing. I think the big thing that people don't realise is there are so many activities available. You know, everything from things like zip wires or you can go on lovely hikes, like you said. But there's loads of other things going on and the food and the whole ambience. And it's really good for you being out there, windsurfing or so many things. And I think what's interesting is, you know, back when Queen Victoria used to go to the the mountains was because of her health reasons and for tuberculosis and all of that. Well, actually, it's so clean. It's so lovely it's pristine but there's lots of fun things as well so I think yeah I think I really love it I love all mountains all year round be it the Cairngorms or be it the Austrian Tyrol. Do you have a favourite place people always ask us this for the winter but do you have a favourite place for the summer? Well I'm very lucky that one of my clients is called Le Boat and they specialise in self-driving boat holidays all over Europe. And actually one of the favourite holidays I've ever done was with my husband and my son and we took a boat near, sort of, it's called Casselet, which is a, a river down from Venice and the lagoon. And we did our self-driving boat and moored up at Verano, up in the Venetian lagoon. And that to me, as holiday with a child and his sort of 10, 9, 10-year-old was one of the best holidays I've ever done. So I can say that hand on heart. 
In terms of summer, I love everywhere. I mean, the problem is I love traveling. So, you know, the last year has been pretty difficult. Right now, I'm, I'm actually working remotely on the southwest coast of France near Beiritz. And actually, one of our clients is down here, summer France as well. And um, you can stay in lovely villas, go surfing every day, go for lovely picnics on the beach. So I just love being away. And it's got to be active, though, Felice. I like a bit of activity. I can't really sit there all day doing nothing. Lindsay, you and I went on an amazing trip once to Las Vegas and the Grand Canyon. That's so memorable. Yeah, Route 66, I will never forget. (laughs) It was phenomenal. I mean, the great thing about America, which I think, you know, a lot of people, they've forgotten this year because we haven't been able to go. But honestly, the welcoming experience when you get to the United States. I know Vegas is a little bit different to anywhere else. Well, you know, Vegas is amazing for a place to go. But the Grand Canyon. I loved it. And when we stayed um, in, we went to the national parks and actually one of our, couple of our friends stayed in a tent overnight, if I remember rightly, but it was just so different to anywhere else. So from a United States perspective, I'd say there and the other place, which I absolutely adore is Jackson Hole. Uh, winter and summer. I totally love it. I love the whole national park in the summer and I love going out to see it there. It's great. You can get one of those big Winnebago's and go round and there's so much to do. Whilst in the winter, yeah, it's just it's just the most amazing snowboarding place to be. I guess you might say Jackson Hole because it's also our favourite resort. In the world, absolutely. In the world. Yours is in the world. But also very closest part is is Park City. I really like Park City. And the reason I liked going over that side is because you could go to all the different resorts and I got to go to Sundance, Alta, all different places, which I really like that concept. If you're going to go somewhere, go as many places as you can, Deer Valley and everything else. So yeah, they're two of my really, really favorite places. And I just find I just find it so like the microbreweries they've got there as well, all these different things that we didn't really have before. And I used to work in North America. So I was lucky enough to actually go to many resorts in, in the US and Canada. But those two are very, very close to my heart. Your job sounds very glamorous to most people, but I know it's also very tiring because I've known you do back to back trips. I think when we went to Las Vegas, you just come from Thailand. Is that right? That was correct. Yes, it is. It can be tiring. I'm lucky that this year I've had a lot of sleep due to lockdown. So I'm hoping this winter I'll be ready to go back out. It is tiring, but it's also what you put in, you get out. And that's my theory about work full time. You work hard, you play hard. I think the thing is you reap rewards. If I see something written in print in a national newspaper, I still whoop for joy because I'm like, yes, my client's in there. And as long as you still love what you're doing, it's brilliant. Um, And I, I really get excited. And even more so, when the winter season's about to start. It, normally, this time of year is just before it all goes crazy again. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this year. How do you keep yourself healthy, though, if you're getting so little sleep sometimes with all this travel? It must be very draining. Well, I've taken up re- reformative Pilates. I went to boot camp this year, um, and I'm really well known at home for sleeping many hours. And people don't see that. I go to bed about nine o'clock at night, and I will sleep until eight o'clock in the morning when I get back home. So I'm a bit like a bear, have a bit of sleep and catch up again. <laughs> so where in the world haven't you been to that you'd really like to go to? On my list, three places I've always wanted to go to, and one I was supposed to go to this year, which I'm hoping to defer to next year, is Borneo. I have always wanted to work with the orangutans. I'd always said that's all I ever wanted in life with the orangutans. So I'm going out there next year. New Zealand has been on my list forever, but I've never had the time to get there. And I really feel if I go there, I really want to make 
a real impact and do everything you need to do. And we have family down there. And last but not least, it's all due to a television program I saw is Marlon Brando's Island that he bought. I just so want to go there. Even for one night, it just looks amazing. I just, it's where I want to go. (laughs) And where is that? It's in that Polynesian bit. So it's his own private island with a private reef and everything else. I mean, it's out of this world price, but it's a dream. One day, I hope to get there. That would be really, really cool. And how did you first get into travel right in the beginning? So I studied at Westminster College, Catering College, and I studied there. And then I went and worked in Switzerland in a ski resort called Cramontana. I ran a hotel there. And my mother used to organize conferences. My father was the British Airways. He was the head chef and big buyer of all the food. And so I'd always traveled as a kid. So, you know, it was quite normal. And then I got this job and I loved that job. I really loved it running the hotel. And then I saw there was this Ingham's rep who was always around. I'd chat to him. He was really nice. He was like, well, do you ski? I said, well, a couple of times. And so he then suggested I got a job with Ingham's, who were one of the biggest tour operators at the time. And that's how I started really in travel after I'd been in the hotel but I'd been around it all my life and I was lucky enough to work for Ingham's doing ski seasons and summer seasons on Lake Geneva winters in places like Cromontana where else did I work out Duez Trevinia bit in Sars Bay a bit in Udelboden and then I was lucky enough to go to North America and work in Tromblant and Whistler and then after that I became North American operations director out there and so I got to go to all the resorts and then I was living in Vancouver which was pretty cool but then I actually missed the United Kingdom because I've been away for so many years and I came back and I said to my boss who used to running them I haven't got a job what am I going to do he said um have you ever thought of doing public relations And I'd studied it in my degree in hotel and catering. So I said, no, but I will learn. So I was very, very lucky at the time. That's how I got into it. And how at the time we bought a company called Bladen Lines, which I'm not sure if everybody knows, but it was a it was a very traditional uh, chalet company that had been running for many years. And I got to start with that. So it began with that. And then we had City Breaks, Villas. We had Interhome, which is a huge European portal to get to book houses all across the world. And I stayed there for many years. Really happy times. And I was so lucky. That sounds amazing. I mean, how many ski resorts do you think you've been to? Can you count them? Last year, I had a count. and I think it's about 106. But to be honest, if I counted how many times I've been to some of those resorts, one resort I've been to about 40 times. So it just depends on how you qualify it and quantify it. But I've enjoyed every resort I've been to. I've never had a resort I would never go back to. It sounds like a lot of people's dream job, travel PR. If someone wanted to get into that, how would you recommend they started? What I would suggest is they actually go to the Chartered Institute of Public Relations and actually do a course with them and start that way through, be it a, sort of the equivalent of a HND course or a degree course with them rather than going and studying media studies. Because a lot of people think if they do media studies, they would then do PR. But actually, it's better to do the absolute finite thing and then to get work experience. That's the other point, which, you know, for example, we're a small boutique company, but we do take on interns and to teach them the way. And like to our last intern, when he finished, he's gone to do a master's and now he's decided to do public relations with government. Travel, he thought was exciting, but actually his passion is in government. So he's gone to do that. So there's lots of ways in. You don't have to actually get into a travel company to do travel PR. You can go to different companies, but it's hard graph, but you've got to be a good writer and you need to be able to write because that is the stickler with everything. Because I don't think a lot of people realise that a lot of writing is done by 
people in public relations, but we do have to write an awful lot. And that is really key. And also have a really outgoing and bubbly personality and have interest, have some other interests, have some life outside of work. So you've actually got something to talk about as well. But it is seven days a week, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Only if I'm on a remote island with no internet connection. That's the only time I'm not working. We found that as journalists, the only time we are not working was once we went to Greece on a flotilla and there wasn't any internet. We couldn't work, basically. And it's such a weird feeling if you are cut off. It's very, very odd. It was actually lovely. It was a real rest. The only time I've ever been cut off, and it did really make me quite stressed, I did a press trip to Greenland on an expedition ship and there is no internet on an expedition ship. And I was away for 10 days and I, I was quite, I was really not in a good place, but I could still work on other things, but I had no emails or any communication. <laughs> I think it's quite restful, isn't it? <laughs> it is if you've planned that, Peter. But if you haven't planned it, it can have the other effect. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was lucky enough kayaking out with icebergs and seeing whales and just beautiful, amazing Inuit people, you know, everything was phenomenal. But there's me at the end of the day going, oh God, I wonder what's happening. Oh, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> And then do you work for individual tour operators as well? Yes, we do work with individual tour operators. Um, We have everything in the summer from Alfresco, which is uh, mobile homes across Europe, to Le Boat, which is boating holidays. We also have a lovely little new company that we started working with in the UK called Pida Terre, which is a hiking company. Very small, very bespoke. And yes, we do work with tour operators, but often that's a very different set of public relations to working with, say, a tourist board. So we work with a lot of tourist boards, particularly because we're in country, which is very difficult for them to do when they're overseas. I know you work mainly with travel journalists, but does that overlap with sports journalists and food writers as well? Yes, a lot, especially when it comes to all these outdoor pursuits. Also, we're working a lot with food because food is becoming more and more important in the travel sphere. So recently, I just run a press trip for Slow Food in the mountains, and that was very much food-generated journalists, which have a very different need to what a travel journalist does. So you get used to working with them. I did the Football World Cup over in um, in South Africa a few years ago. And that was brilliant. But I was working with a lot of sports media because that's how it works. And we were promoting travel trips to go and see the football and the same when we had the Lions tour. So that is very, very different. So you do have different connections. I never know the difference between PR and marketing or do they overlap? So marketing is a whole department and within marketing, public relations sit. And marketing is to market a product and it could include in it social media, it can include databases, it would include general advertising, public relations sits in there. So it is the overarching word for promotion of anything. And that is interesting because, of course, advertising is paid for media. We are not paid for media. We are earned media, which actually for anybody who's reading something, if a really good journalist like yourselves have written an article rather than look at an advert, you have a really amazing view on things because you've traveled the world, you've seen things, and you are really honest about things you see. Whilst in an advert, really, an advert is people shouting at you saying how good we are. So I think that's what's really important with public relations. At the end of the day, it's what the media writes and what they see through their eyes by them getting the right information. And how important are influences these days? Very important. They are very, very important. It depends on what you work with. I mean, if you're a brand of something like Adidas or Mars, they use a lot and a lot of influencers. What's important with influencers are 
there's different types of influencers. You've got some who are very much TikTok or YouTube, and then you've got people who've got blogs, and you've got people who've got massive social media accounts. So they are more and more important. Um, there are different ones for different things. And I think during lockdown, a lot of them lost a lot of their audiences because they had no fresh content to share. And they are content creators. At the end of the day, that's what they do. They are content creators. Some are brilliant. Some are very passionate. And very much so. Even if you, some people say, oh, well, I've only got 10,000 people following me. But if those 10,000 people are actually engaged, it's really, really important. And if that's potentially a very small market for a client. So it, there's lots of things happening now that are very different. So yeah, we have much more sort of a broad remit because before they were, they didn't exist. We didn't have them. And where do podcasts fit into this? Podcasts are brilliant. I think they podcasts are great because people have got so much free, well, so much time in saying that they are out walking their dogs. You can always listen to a podcast. And if it's interesting, like your podcast is, people will always keep coming back for more. And I think that's the way forward. I mean, obviously, people will be starting going back to their offices come September around the world. I know in lots of places like France, they're already back. But that's a great time for people to listen. If they're sitting on a train or they're driving, they can play it through their sound system. No, I'm with you. I love listening to things. It's so interesting. And I do listen to a lot of podcasts these days. Where are you off to next? So my next destination is I'm going to Scotland. Everybody loves Scotland. It's beautiful. It's just stunning. And we're going to Aviemore, which is in the in the midst of the highlands, not far from Loch Lomond. You've got the beaches out on either side. We're going hiking, biking, fishing. And then after that, heading out to the Isère. And the Isère is in France. It's a department of France. Um, most people probably have heard of Grenoble, which is the capital of, of that area. And we're going up to the mountains there called the Vercors. And we're going off to go and see some of these sort of beautiful villages that peak with overhung houses. We're going to do the sort of slow food type movement. We're going to go paddle boarding, do some easy e-biking through the Vercors. So that will be quite nice. And then winter, I'm hoping, will start. Linda Devon, thank you very much indeed for appearing on the podcast today. And we wish you a very happy winter with lots and lots of work and lots and lots of snowboarding. Thank you. And I wish you both a great time this winter in the Alps. And if you want to know more about Lindsay and Heaven Publicity, check out the website www.heavenpublicity.co.uk. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe.